Hello, this is a Bicom podcast. I'm Richard Pater, the director of Bicom, and I'm delighted to welcome back to the podcast Tal Shalev, the political correspondent for Walat News. Tal, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you. Happy to be here again. So uh, I really wanted to speak to you this week. We've saw, we saw the opening of the, of the winter session in the Knesset. And, and as one of Israel's leading kind of political insiders, it's great to kind of to take your take your pulse on a range of domestic Israeli uh, political issues on the on the agenda at the moment. If we can perhaps start and, dis and discuss the historic vote in the Knesset yesterday over the ratifying of the agreement with the uh, with with the UAE. Um, I mean, I suppose first first off. The, we saw there was a, a vote, 80 votes uh, in favour. Only the, uh, the joint, the joint list uh, voted against, which they kind of crudely called the uh, the, the peace treaty, just a, a kind of a uh, an arms, an arms, a glorified arms deal. Um, what do you make beyond kind of the uh, the cynicism? What do you make of the allegations that we heard earlier in the week that there are some secret aspects of this uh, of this treaty? So it was a very historic and special, even rare day in the Knesset yesterday. We should point out before we talk about those who voted against um, the, the treaty, we should note that 80 um, MKs from all of the uh, Jewish Zionist parties uh, voted in support of the deal. And it's very rare that we have such a unity between opposition and coalition. So. Let's say on the Israeli, on the not the Israeli, on the Jewish uh, Zionist side, there was a huge consensus. Um, and yes, the um, joint the joint list voted against, which became, I would say, a point of contention, or it was a major point of discussion in the Knesset in the plenum yesterday during the debate. I think that um, that some. That, that some of the criticism towards, there was a lot of criticism from um, the Jewish parties towards the joint list that they are missing every opportunity to miss an opportunity and that this shows that they are more loyal to the Palestinians than they are to the state of Israel. And almost, uh, I would say 75% of the speakers dedicated at least one part of their speech to attacking the joint list for their decision to oppose. But I should note that, you know, the joint list identifies um, with um, the Palestinians and they consider themselves Palestinians. And the peace treaty with the um, Emirates and with Bahrain is a treaty that bypasses the Palestinians and at least from the Palestinian political leadership point of view is a treaty that hurts the Palestinians. So I thought there was something I would say um, some it was a bit crude or I, I think there was something um, people were very I, I don't think it was surprising that the joint list voted against the treaty. Uh, I just think that it uh, became you know a that it, it made the it, it became the, the the favorite bullying point uh, throughout the the discussion and the speeches yesterday. Now, regarding the secret part of the deal, of course, Netanyahu has never admitted that there is any secret part of this deal, but we do know from, you know, uh, American officials and from Emirati officials that part of the, I would say, big deal um, has to do with the F-35 uh, uh, jet planes deal between the Emirates and the United States. 
Um, but there is no secret, as far as I know, there is no secret annex to discuss or to present. That being said, Netanyahu did not um, appear in front of the Knesset's uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, which is the specific uh, um, parliamentary committee which oversights uh, things that have to do with defense and foreign affairs. So the MKs did not have a chance to even ask him about these reports and to try and understand what are these informal understanding, understandings, if at all, between Israel, the, the Emirates, and, the, and uh, the United States. Thank you for that. If we can, can move on to kind of the uh, dom domestic issues, we saw reports uh, this morning actually in the Israeli media that suggests uh, Blue and white are going to get tough and set a deadline for two weeks for the government to present a budget uh, to the to the cabinet ahead, of course, of the deadline at the end of this year. Before we get on to the speculation about the, uh, the survival of the government, what do you think about these, these latest comments from Blue and White? Well, Blue and White um, <clears throat> in the past two or three weeks have kind of, you know, cha changed their mode, their modus operandi, and they're trying to um, be much more aggressive and much more, uh, I think, decisive to, towards Netanyahu and to try and change the dynamic of the relationship between them and Netanyahu. Uh, this government almost it's almost six months old, um, and the dynamic is kind of uh, you know Netanyahu is a very very seasoned and experienced player, and blue and white. It's their first government in their life, and the dynamic is definitely, uh, I would say, a dynamic of bullying. Um, Netanyahu and Dalikud kind of bullying blue and white. And a few weeks ago, um, in, against the backdrop of the very wide-scale protests that uh, are going on in Israel, blue and white decided that now it's time for them to fight back um, and to try and show Netanyahu that uh, that things cannot continue the way they are they are now and uh, that they demand a change in the way the government works and in the relationship inside the government. And of course, they are demanding, first of all, to pass or approve a budget for the next year. So Blue and White basically in the past three weeks have been uh, spreading uh, various threats and ultimatums, trying to push or pressure Netanyahu um, to accept and to agree to uh, pass a budget to the end of till the end of 2021, meaning a budget, a very a stable, real, normal budget. Israel has been operating without a budget for the past two years, and they've been threatening. I would say in a growing, in grow with growing volume. So the ultimatum you're talking about this morning that talks that says if Netanyahu does not agree to start working on a budget, um, then with, within two weeks, um, we should start working for elections. This is just, I think, part of the escalation in their threats. I should, I should say that Netanyahu so far is not really nudging to their threats. It doesn't seem, it seems like uh, um, blue and white are putting out ultimatums and threatening to do all kinds of things, but Netanyahu is not is kind of ignoring them. Um, so it does seem at, that at the end of the day, the decision will have to be a decision by Benny Gantz. Is he has he decided to finally dissolve this government? It looks like that uh, from the internal processes inside Blue and White, it looks like we might be approaching that day that Benny Gantz will really say 
okay, this is over. Let's, uh, there's, there's no other choice but to go to elections. Thank you for that. We, we saw that, I mean, the suggestion that there could be a constructive vote of no confidence early this week. I mean, is that a realistic scenario that uh, the blue and white could leave this current government and, and replace it without the need for elections? No, uh, that's a, it's a very easy <laughs> answer. Arithmetically, I mean, if we would just look at the math of the numbers, then yes, um, Nick, that there are more parties and more uh, Knesset members in this Knesset that would um, prefer to replace Netanyahu and replace this government than um, MKs that are with Netanyahu. Um, I mean, from the numbers, there, theoretically, there should have been an there should have been a way to form a different different government inside this uh, Knesset. But uh, we don't live in theory; we live in practice, and the political um, differences between all of the parties that are against Netanyahu today just doesn't it just doesn't add up to they, they just can't sit together. Mm. Uh, for instance, um, you have um, th this coalition of opposition that we are talking about in order to have 61 seats to to present an alternative government, you would have to have um, some agreement between the joint list, Naftali Bennett, a right-wing settler party, Israel Beitenu, uh, another right-wing party, Blue and White, Meretz, and uh, Yeshatid. In order for all of these parties to agree on one person that he is the candidate to lead this alternative government, just uh, it just doesn't work politically. Mm. Um, there are too many ideological and political differences between all the players that the constructive, uh, the idea of a constructive vote of no confidence, it's good as a pressure. It's it, 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 it's mainly a, pre a pressure talk tactic on Netanyahu and on blue and white, but it doesn't really have any plausible uh, chances to move forward because the opposition is so divided and so uh, non, so heterogeneous. Mm. But on the specifics of the, of the budget, I mean, there are some uh, accounts from even uh, finance ministry officials that these things take, uh, take months, several months to, to put together. Uh, I mean, how realistic is, A, this, uh, that it can be done, not even in two weeks, but we're going to get the budget done by the end of the year and we won't be going to a new election cycle? Well, so the problem with this whole discussion about the, the whole debate about the budget is that there's a mixture of uh, both real professional um, economic arguments with a lot of political rationale. And um, it's true that uh, in order to pass a budget for 2021, um, basically there's no way in the current timetable that uh, the finance ministry can do it and go through a due process in both the government, the cabinet and the Knesset. Um, that is because the finance minister is from the Likud and he has been stalling this pro process in the mm. past few weeks. For, from political reasons. And then we should explain that the whole issue of the budget is not really about the budget. It's about what we call an exit point. It's about the exit. The reason that Netanyahu does not want to pass a budget for the rest of 2021 is because that means that he will not have 
any exit from the government with guns until the end of 2021, which means that he will have to, at the end of this, the next year, November 2021, according to the agreement, he will have to leave the prime minister's office and fulfill the rotation agreement that he signed with Benny Gantz. So the whole debate about the budget is that Netanyahu, in a normal world, he might have under, you know, Netanyahu might have agreed to have a budget or he wouldn't have any opposition to approving or passing a budget at this point. But it's, 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 it's a, it has so much political significance that he doesn't want to give it up now and he prefers to go to election than to say that at the end of November he will fulfill the agreement and leave the prime minister's office. And from Benny Gantz's point of view, it's also the same. I mean, in some, in a real world, if we would be having only economic uh, professional discussion, there's a way to find, you know, that there's a way to, to make the process work in, um, and have maybe, you know, a, a mini budget for the next six months and then pass another budget. But from Benny Gantz's point of view, if, if he doesn't pass uh, the budget of 2021 or if he doesn't get, you know, Netanyahu rid of this exit point, then he will never become prime minister. So for both of them, it's a make it or break it question from the political point of view, which kind of, you know, infects the whole economic professional discussion of what is really good for Israel. Indeed. So, I mean, it, you're, I mean, bottom, bottom line, your sense is that we, we could well be in an election cycle by the end of the year. Yes, we could also be in an election cycle even earlier than the end of the year. In order for there to be elections by the end of the year, nothing needs to happen. Meaning that if Gantz and Netanyahu just leave or freeze the situation as it is now, by the end of the year, there will be no choice then to dissolve, that the, the government will dissolve without a budget and go to another election. But it could happen even before that, because um, what Blue and White are essentially saying is that if we are doomed to go to election again anyway, and we're doomed to go to an election without a budget anyway, then it's better for the country to do it as fast as possible, because that means that at least after the election, a government will be established as fast as possible, and that government will start working on a budget as soon as possible. So the idea in blue and white is that we do not necessarily have to wait till the end of December, um, and just we can actively support um, a bill to dissolve the Knesset that would be presented by one of the opposition uh, one of the opposition parties and actually dissolve the Knesset even in the next three or four weeks. I think the main point that everyone is looking and waiting for in Israel, both Blue and White and Netanyahu, is the November elections um, in the US. I think that um, the result will, could, or I don't know, will, but could, I, I suspect and I, I suspect and expect that the result will influence Netanyahu one way or another. I don't know exactly to define how, but it's clear that if President Trump is elected again, it has one meaning for Netanyahu. And it's clear that if uh, Biden is elected, that has a different meaning for Netanyahu. Uh, much of Netanyahu's political power in the past uh, four years has been preserved because of uh, President Trump. 
Um, and if he's going to deal with a Democratic uh, White with a Democrat White House again, that means that the dynamics will be totally different. Um, and I think that uh, the November elections, everyone is waiting to see what the result is there, and that that would be the final, you know, the final um, aspect that will influence Netanyahu and Gantz's decision. Um, on the domestic polling, we're seeing that uh, Yamina and Naftali Bennett are riding sky high, but as often happens in the polls, kind of in, at, at the end of the day, he kind of falls back, shrinks down to, to a relatively uh, more modest size. Um, a, what do you think of those numbers? And B, I suppose more significantly, if it comes to the next election, how secure can Netanyahu be with his natural partners on the right vis-a-vis -vis kind of how much he's, uh, how he's treated Naftali Bennett recently? And obviously he's currently sitting in the opposition. So Naftali Bennett is definitely, probably, I don't know if definitely or probably, but <laughs> it's probably the the um, the most interesting player of the next elections whenever they happen. It's not just that, uh, um, you know, it's the, the regular spike of Bennett in the polls. He has jumped um, in the past uh, six months, he has kind of jumped to a not, totally different league. Um, the fact that Netanyahu left him out of the government and um, gave him the chance to build himself as an opposition on everything that has to do with COVID-19 and with dealing with the plague, um, with the disease, um, that has made Bennett a real significant actor. And um, he is now with 22, 24 seats in the polls, he's getting very, very close to the Likud, and most of his votes come from Likud voters. So Bennett is a big danger for Netanyahu. Um, that being said, because for the first time in 10 years, there's someone who is being discussed as an alternative from the right. And what we are seeing, we're seeing gradually seeing, you know, um, there's um, very high rate of unsatisfaction in Israel. Israelis are very unsatisfied. There's a lot of criticism on Netanyahu and the government for how they are dealing with COVID-19. And Bennett has been basically taking all of the, he's, he's been uh, taking all of the prizes he can from that um, situation, meaning that everyone who's disappointed with the government just moves to Bennett and starts to talk about Bennett as, uh, you know, the next prime minister. Um, now, the question is, A, will these um, new voters stay there um, during a campaign? Will Bennett succeed to have a campaign that's only about COVID-19, which doesn't talk about traditional issues of right and left? Um, so most of his uh, new voters in the polls are from the right, but he also has a significant chunk that come from the center left. Um, I think they're, they're called, you know, disappointed blue and white voters who are moved from Gantz to support Bennett. Um, and it's not clear that he can succeed to keep both the left wing, his new left wing supporters and his both, both and his new right wing supporters. So that's one of his biggest challenges. Um, another challenge will be is how far will Bennett go against Netanyahu? Um, you know, it's very easy for Bennett to attack and criticize Netanyahu on everything that has to do with COVID-19. 
but he still isn't um, attacking him on anything that has to do with his trials uh, or his uh, style. And even, I would say, he didn't really, really go full in about the the whole issue of the of the um, of the annexation uh, that Netanyahu basically gave up uh, um, during the because of the agreement with the Emirates. Mm. So I think that um, definitely Bennett is a new is like the most dramatic and interesting and probably influential player. But I think that Netanyahu believes that uh, he can shrink him back, uh, that he can bring back his votes with good campaigning. And the minute that he shrinks him back to, you know, some somewhere between even 15 to 20 seats, he still isn't, uh, he still will not necessarily be able to prevent Netanyahu from becoming prime minister. And I think that Netanyahu, in, even in a way, thinks that uh, may, maybe Bennett is a good way to secure himself another right-wing government after the elections. Mm, very interesting. One final question. I mean, the, we've, beyond kind of the criticism that Netanyahu is under, um, even from the, the harshest critics within the blue and white, um, describe kind of two aspects of his persona, one being how he plays the, plays the media and is the king of spin. On the other side, he has the ability to be razor sharp and focused and, uh, and really grasp the details in the policy debates, whether it's the corona crisis or foreign policy. Um, from your experience following the Prime Minister close up, can you attest to this disparity in his behaviour? Well, that, I think that's one way to analyse it. I must say that Netanyahu is a very, very unique leader with a very unique personality and there's a lot of psychological uh, um, explanations that are attributed to his behavior and a lot of theories. Um, I think that uh, the main thing that has to do with his management, which is um, on one hand good, but on the other hand very bad in situations like we are now, is that he, he's um, addicted to micromanagement, meaning that he deals with every, he does not have um, good uh, managers around him who he trusts to, you know, run the run small or medium issues without him having to interfere. And he himself, um, it goes into every little detail when you on everything. And when you hear what Netanyahu does deals with, like, even just while handling this COVID-19 crisis, Netanyahu sits like in professional um, meetings that really there's no need for him to discuss the details between um, the difference between, uh, you know, 500 meters and 1,000 meters on the distancing or um, he really goes into every, every little detail and he doesn't trust the professionals at all. Um, and he even undermines the professionals uh, in many ways. We are seeing uh, in the past few months, basically all of the leadership of the finance ministry, ministry, all of the professional leadership of the finance ministry has resigned or left their jobs. Um, and so I think that Netanyahu's micromanagement is hurting him because he's getting into details, too many details, and he's dealing with I don't know, at least five fronts at the same time. And it's not, and there's no, there's no like chain of command. It's all him. He doesn't have a very professional surroundings. Even most of his closest advisors 
don't know how to execute. Uh, he doesn't let them execute. He doesn't know how to give them the power or the ability to execute orders. He just does everything by himself. So that's um, one of his problems. Another problem is that um, another problem is that there's no devil's advocate at all um, in Netanyahu's surroundings. Uh, in his close bureau and his close, you know, what we call aquarium. Um, over the years, there were more prominent people and less prominent figures, uh, but today. Um, the, I would say there's, it's a very yes men environment. There are a lot of yes men's uh, around him and not many people who, who he doesn't have many people who have the courage to present different ideas or alternative, alternative ways of making decisions. So um, I think that's the main aspect of Netanyahu's management that we are seeing these days. For sure, Netanyahu is, a very, very, very capable person and mega intelligent. But I think that even the most intelligent person in the world uh, cannot deal with so many fronts when, um, when, when you're so involved in every little detail and you don't know how to you know, divide um, responsibilities among your people. Well, there's, there's plenty more to discuss, but uh, we'll leave that for another day. Thank you so much, uh, Tal, for joining me this morning. And uh, we look forward to uh, following your analysis and hearing from you again soon. Thank you very much. My pleasure.